0: All right, so as John Jono said, he's going to be preaching through the letter to the Romans over the next little while. And he asked me to explore the story behind the reading we just had. The story of the conversion of Saul, who became the apostle Paul. Some of you may be familiar with his story. For others, it may be new. For, for me, what's important is the story of a man who encountered Jesus and like each one of us, was forever changed. Maybe it's a psychologist in me, but I believe you get more, so much more value out of what someone says or writes when you understand the context, the experiences of the person doing the writing. For instance, John Newton was a stubborn and selfish individual in the 1700s. He was forced into the Royal Navy, against his will and moved on from there eventually to captain the ships that were capturing and transporting slaves. His life was pretty vile. It was full of things that later on would shame him and it makes embarrassing reading to read his story. He was a long way from God until a storm at sea marked a turning point in his life and he turned to God. He struggled with the life he'd led, the shame, the vile acts he'd perpetrated on the people who had been his cargo, the people he'd exploited, abused, bought and sold. Later on he wrote, my confession which comes too late, and it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me, is that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. Later, as a pastor, he co-wrote a hymn, Amazing Grace, as an expression that he had found the truth of a relationship with Jesus. How could such words, such a powerful hymn, come from such a depraved and selfish man? Well, it's all in the title. You know the hymn. And maybe knowing a little bit more about his life, I ask, doesn't it add something to the words he wrote and that we sing? Doesn't it add to our connection with the truth in that hymn and our experience of salvation? Are you with me? Yeah? That is what makes the sharing of of our stories powerful. When a person honestly talks about how they turned and continue to turn their lives to Jesus, we move from listening to theory. To understanding someone's experience and their wisdom? Doesn't Newton's story say something about he not, how he not only understood but lived his Christian faith? Doesn't it say something as we sing those words about how grace can live in us? Someone's story isn't valuable for the information it gives us, it's about wisdom. And amazing grace says something about the wisdom john newton found and then lived so we're going to look at saul's testimony his story as it's recorded here in acts and in a few other places and you may be surprised that god would save and then use such an evil and violent man but then he did the same with me and probably with you too also let's pray Father, help us get behind the words of this story. Help us to understand and see this life that was turned around. And in understanding that, makes us richer, makes us wiser. Amen. So Saul, his Jewish name, was born in a Roman city that is now in Turkey. His family were upright, legalistic, Pharisaic Jews. And Saul grew to be a rigid Pharisee and teacher. A Pharisee, or a separate one, was a type of Jew who followed a very strict observance of the rites and rituals of the Old Testament. And he believed, and they believed, that they were the only ones doing it right, so much so that they went further than the Old Testament and taught and practised laws and customs that they had developed as well. They were so busy about doing things just right, they started to add layers and layers so that everybody did things just right. The point is that they saw their identity and purity in terms of how closely they taught and followed all these rules. And here were these Christians challenging it all. So we first hear of Saul in Acts chapter 7 as he collaborates in the murder of a Christian called Stephen. And the Bible tells us that after Stephen's murder, Saul ravaged the church. Ravaged is a pretty powerful term. He ravaged the church, entering into every house and he dragged both men and women off to prison. Imagine that, someone who would come in here today and take you away to prison. But even that wasn't enough for Saul. Our reading highlights that Saul decided he wanted to kill off Christianity everywhere, not just in Jerusalem. And the writer of Acts tells us that Saul's still breathing threats and slaughter You've got to listen to the words here. (laughs) Ravaged, slaughter. Against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus that if he found any of the way, any Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here he is, a devout and puritanical Pharisee who had no problems with violence. He was killing and jailing Christians. A guy who was so passionate about this, he would take men and women away, break up families. And that was his level of holiness. He wasn't just talking about doing this. He'd been doing this so well that he earned the permission of the high priest to start doing this in other countries. So let's think about this. When you read the letter to the Romans, or in fact anything else that Paul wrote, you might well see Paul the the writer, as if he'd always been like this. The whole halo and glow-in-the-dark type saint. But I think it's important to remember that Saul, at this stage of his life, had been living like this. The next slide. This fits with what Acts is telling us. He was passionate about his religion in a violent and destructive way. This isn't an exaggeration. Ask Stephen and the other Christians Paul brutalised. Listen to what Paul says about himself later on when he's on trial. Indeed, I myself thought it my duty to take extreme measures against the name of Jesus from Nazareth. That is what I did in Jerusalem. I received authority from the high priests and locked many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote for their death. I would even punish them frequently in every synagogue and try to make them blaspheme. Raging furiously against them, I would hunt them down even to distant cities. But on the road to Damascus, Jesus literally stopped him in his tracks and showed Saul how blind he'd been. And it was only after Saul spent time praying and reframing his life that Saul, now Paul, was actually allowed to see again. But it wasn't like he became a Christian and everything became honky-dory, it's not like everyone opened their arms to him even Ananias in our reading today argued with God can you imagine that he's a disciple God says I want you to go to Saul Ananias says he's a bad man God are you sure is that really what you want when Saul had come to Jerusalem later Acts chapter 9 tells us that he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. They didn't see him with a halo. They saw only that face of violence and his brutality towards them. So as we go through the letter to Romans, I believe it's important to recognise that he was a guy with a story, like us, who struggled with himself and others. As he moved from a life of self-righteously abusing Christ's disciples to living the life of a disciple himself. So how does a guy with this history and background end up writing such a significant letter? This letter to the Romans. So significant that it becomes a part of the New Testament. And it's because like John Newton, it wasn't his past that gave Paul relevance. It was his life today with God. For instance, one of Paul's main themes in Romans is that we can only be saved by grace alone, through, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Now, this was a guy, this is a guy who's invested 30-plus years of his life believing that being true to God was following rules and customs strictly, praying at the right times, reading at the right times, doing everything according to the rules, and by resisting, fighting or killing off anyone who said anything differently. And then he discovered he was wrong, that all his rituals, all his status and importance, his purity were useless in a real and living relationship with God. Paul would later say, If any other man thinks that he has confidence in the flesh, I yet more. Circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I'm blameless. However, what things were gained to me, These have I counted loss for Christ. I consider them rubbish. Rituals, authority, holy routines, religiousness, passion, angry devotion were all the badges that Saul carried with him as he set out on that road to Damascus. But in Romans we get to see how Paul's view on these badges changed so that they all became rubbish. Instead, in encountering Jesus, Paul found freedom from the responsibility of religiousness. He found freedom from the burdens of rituals and customs. And in Romans, he's going to talk about being free at least 11 times in the first eight chapters. The Pharisee discovered that the disciple is free not because he collects more or better badges, but because religiousness no longer matters. It's Christ alone, in Christ alone. It's grace alone, through, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Secondly, Paul was on his way to kill and imprison people like us when he met Jesus in this powerful way. He saw it as his duty, his responsibility to persecute the way of Jesus. Like Peter, who denied Jesus three times and then found forgiveness, Saul, then Paul, became a man who knew deeply what it was to betray the Son of God over and over again and instead of being hit with brimstone on the road, found grace and forgiveness. Imagine his surprise when meeting Jesus didn't lead to condemnation but led to grace. Paul often talks about grace in Romans but also uses so many other words to talk about it as well. And I believe that's why you seldom read Paul referring to his past. It's not that he's ignoring the things he did I believe it's the same reason you don't read Peter going back and talking about how he denied Jesus. Did Paul remember the faces of the men and women he'd brutalised? I'm sure he did. But did those memories define who he became as a disciple? No. Do we focus on our past and our present failings? Are we so busy being guilty and standing accused that we never enjoy freedom. Paul's message, his story, his testimony, is that those memories should not burden us, but instead be the trigger to focus us on God's freedom, on his forgiveness, on his salvation, his grace alone, through Christ alone. Hence Paul writes the incredible words In the 6th chapter of Romans, Death is what we deserve, but the free gift of God is eternal life in union with Jesus the Messiah. A little later, Paul writes, and and as as you hear this, just think about yourselves. I find this to be a law. When I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my body a different law waging war with the law in my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that exists in my body. What a wretched man who will rescue me from the body of death. Thank God. It's through Jesus. Do you know that struggle within you? I so want to live a holier life. I want to have halos and I want to glow in the dark. But it's so easy for me to see how I go back to my old ways. But I've been rescued from that. Paul's conversion in life demonstrates that we've been freed to be free, not to exchange one set of chains for the chains of guilt or self-accusation. Paul's story... His testimony encouraged us because it tells us that badges and religiousness don't matter. And once our chains came off, we were in fact free to be free. And as we read through Romans, I hope some of Paul's story will add to our understanding and application. If you could put the next slide up. Paul's story is a powerful demonstration that the good news of Jesus is that who we are and who we can be with God are never limited by who we were without God. Nobody knows what Paul physically looked like. The only physical description we have of Paul comes from later in history. And Paul is described as a man small of stature, with a bald head, crooked legs, in a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat crooked full of friendliness, for at one moment he appeared like a man, at another he had the face of an angel. Now, I like that idea. The broken nose, the crooked legs, bad vision, they're all signs of the rough physical cost Paul paid to be a messenger for Jesus. But one minute he looked like any bloke, but ah, the next, he had the face of an angel. Let's pray. Father, that's my prayer for me, to focus on your grace, your son, to grow in that focus on you so that in time I also can be able to communicate that story, that gift, that freedom to the people around me. Father, help us to understand this story not just as something that happened a long time ago but the parallels in my own life, the wrestles, the false paths that I walk down and need to come back from. Help me to focus on what I can be because you are here with me and let that be my focus. Amen.